It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, oh And welcome to the Breakcast, the official podcast of the Pop Break. We are talking today about a very special film for its 30th anniversary. I am your host, Josh Onecki, joined as usual by my brother Aaron. Aaron, say hello. Hey. And today we have an incredibly special guest. You know him, you love him, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Pop Break, Bill Bodkin. Hello, I, and yes, I have danced with the devil in the pale moonlight. And, and that's really all you need to know. So, as you may have guessed, um, if you've read the title of this podcast, and also understand Bill's reference, today we are talking about Batman 89, the first of the Tim Burton uh, Batman movies, and the one that is arguably um, set up Batman as a staple in um, film culture. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about Batman 89 today. Uh, before we get into that, I'm just curious to hear... Um, you know what everyone's relationship is with this film. So, um, Bill, I'm gonna kind of cop out and say that Aaron and I were not born when this movie came out. So, yeah, I, I noticed that as soon as I started thinking about this, I'm like, they asked me on this podcast because I was alive when it came out. That that is your honor. <laughs> um, so Batman 1989. I was actually talking to one of my coworkers about this today. Um. This was as big as like Avengers Endgame, uh, like in 1989. It was massive because this had been the first time since the late 60s from the TV series that you saw Batman in any form on TV or on a screen at all. Um, so, you know, Tim Burton, Red Hot coming off of, you know, Beetlejuice, um, Michael Keaton was one of the top actors going. Jack Nicholson, Kim Basinger. This was a star-studded A-list event. You could not move without seeing Batman. I mean, you had the uh, the Batman cereal, which was great. Yeah, and full of sugar. Um, <laughs> you had the like you everywhere you turned, it was like action figures, and because you had this brand new Batmobile. Um, that was a sleek black design. You saw that Matchbox cars. Um, you had the soundtrack with Prince that would play on MTV or it played on Nickelodeon. Um, he played everywhere you look. And everything about that year was Batman, 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 Batman. And that's like around the time I want to say when Six Flags Great Adventure, I'm in New Jersey, when they started co-oping like Batman into their rides. And that's when that whole thing, you know, started kicking that off too. So, you could not move anywhere without seeing Batman. We even had Batman trading cards, too. I, I think I had at least a couple. So, yeah, it, it was Batman toys. This thing was the hottest movie that I can remember. That's, like, the first time I actually, like, was cognizant of a non-cartoon being a massive cultural event. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a really good point. And I will say, Batman the Ride, one of the best rides at Six Flags. I don't do thrill rides, so I'm going to take your word for it. I, I would recommend it for those who are into into rides. Um, 
Aaron, I know I said we weren't um, alive when this movie came out, but what? Uh, when was the first time you remember seeing this film? So I remember seeing this movie first on the Sci-Fi Channel. I'm not exactly sure when, how old I was. I want to say I was between the age of 10 and 13 because um, I know I saw it before Batman Begins because I was confused um wait you what? were 13 you were 13 when batman begins came out yes <laughs> all right <laughs> I, well, was I, know, seven, I know we're I, really dating here i i was seven when batman 89 came out just so everyone realizes how old i am <laughs> <laughs> the tom castle so yeah i saw this movie first on the sci-fi channel um and then um i saw it um again um Sometime later, so this is only like the third or fourth time I've seen it. Uh, but uh, it, it was one of what I was going to say is I was confused, and we'll get into this. I was confused in Batman Begins why the Joker wasn't the one who killed his parents. I didn't understand the idea of a reboot at the time. Yeah, and that's one of the probably one of the more controversial changes from the the comics that this movie makes. What about your experience? Um, I'd say it, it's pretty similar. He's um, like, I was sitting next to you watching <laughs> it on the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> uh, I mean, more or less. No, I mean, we, Aaron and I, you, you, we really grew up on Batman and Robin more than any of the other Batman movies. Well, okay, we grew up on that, but we also, we, we watched uh, Adam West Batman in the morning. You know, we, we, you know, we were also into the animated series. But, um... Yeah, I think I told you this, Bill, earlier, that I think the first Batman movie... Uh, Batman and Robin, I think, is the first one we saw in theaters. The first one that we saw at all, I think, was Batman Forever. Yeah, so that was... It's crazy, because, like, for me, too, and for a lot of people, like, the reruns of the Adam West series is where a lot of us got our first exposure to Batman. And so... But for me, I don't even think I saw this movie in theaters because, uh, like, it looked, you know, quote unquote, from my parents, like, uh, this is probably too a little too adult for Bill. So I probably watched it later on, like, TV or cable. I've probably seen it about 10, 15 times since, for sure. But, um, yeah, it's it, the Batman franchise has taken a very interesting turns, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And that was something I was going to ask you about, Bill. Like, what's, what's your relationship with Batman as a character? I mean, I've always, I've always really enjoyed Batman um, pro- probably easily my favorite DC superhero um, because it's just like it, like it's the one you grew up that was most prevalent I guess you know Superman had the show from the 50s and uh, I know they played on Nick and I, I had seen the Christopher Reeve movies before but I, I don't know for some reason I never really connected with it whereas you know, we all know the Adam West version is like a camp classic, and like the actually the list of people who were in that series is just like multi-time Oscar nominees, <laughs> like who were played bad guys in that, and it was just really fun. Oh and, yeah, but but it was I always liked the detective aspect of it, and then what really bolstered my appreciation for Batman honestly like you mentioned before was the animated series on fox that is to me is still one of the best shows i've ever seen it's just like such a great not even a kid's show it's just a great show in general it's like it's dark where it needed to be it was fun where it needed to be it was always like gripping television i remember watching with my dad 
sometimes because beyond the afternoon, if he was home, he'd be like, he'd look at me. He's like, oh, this is really good for a kid show. And I'm like, yeah. I know. Of course, like me being nine, I was a great critic. But, you know, but it was <laughs> like, but it, you know, that really bolstered my love for Batman. So, yeah, I mean, what they've done over the years with Batman, like I loved Batman forever, mostly because I was a Jim Carrey fan. I love the soundtrack. It's still great. I highly recommend it. But uh, I mean, that last uh, you know, Kilmer, I thought was good. I mean, the Clooney Batman was, I mean, I'm sorry. I thought it was terrible. Oh, yeah, it uh, is. And then, uh, you know, I loved the stuff Nolan did with it. I mean, Dark Knight, obviously, especially the, th- the second one. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I love what they've done with Ben Affleck. And I'm intrigued with the Robert Pattinson pick. And Gotham was an interesting, is an interesting, uh, interesting take on the whole Batman canon as well. Yeah, but I think you, you bring up some really good points because Batman has been... Um, a character on film and on TV for for such a long time, but really, this latest um, cinematic push for him really started with with this movie, um, and then it led into more TV with the animated series, which is definitely, um, I'd say, one of the best cartoons ever made. But it's so crazy to think about the fact that, like, from like I think the show ended in nineteen sixty eight. I want to say. So for almost 20 years, no one touched Batman. Like, no one thought, like, oh, we could put Batman on the big screen. Like, no one thought, oh, Clint Eastwood in his Dirty Harry Prime would make an awesome Batman. You know what I mean? Like, right. no one no one thought that. No one wanted to do it. Like, obviously, I haven't done the research on that. But it's just odd that it, we, it took us, like, it took tw- almost 20 years for Batman to go from that campy TV series to another adaptation on the big screen. Yeah, that's true. Now we can't get like more than one year without them talking about the next Batman movie. But to go for or who the, or who the new Batman is. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Aaron, I, I'm curious. What are your thoughts on like what this film did to the genre? Uh, well, I think it it, it offers something. It, it's interesting because I feel like this movie compared to say the Christopher Reeve Superman it's very aware of its comic book roots whereas that movie kind of like like yeah Superman's in it like like this movie really feels like a comic book like brought to the big screen just like the way Gotham looks the way you know everybody's dressed like the whole aesthetic uh, of it um so I think do you know what I mean? No, I, I I definitely agree. I think there's something. Yeah, about that, that, it. yeah. The, the Christopher Reeve ones feel like a movie. Like it is a movie, and we have a superhero character in it. Like you feel like you're actually within the pages of a comic book and what Burton created. Right there, there's just something about it that it, it just feels pulled out of there. Um, and I don't really know if I can place as much as like, the set design um, or. I, there's just something about it. Um, but before we get too much into, um, you know, what we liked and what we didn't like about it, um, you know, I'm just curious, just overall, um, how you both felt about it and how you feel about it now. So, um, Bill, I want to start with you. Do you like this movie? Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't at first when I was a kid, I didn't like it. I really, I, I like, I thought it was okay. I thought it was weird because, uh, and then we'll get into it later, I guess with Michael Keaton, because he was Mr. Mom. You know, he's like, I'd only seen him in comedies and now he's Bruce Wayne. And 
I, I actually was like, well, I like the animated series better. And then I was like, and I actually liked Batman Returns a lot better too. Um, but I remember I was, I was disappointed, I guess, as a kid when I first saw it because I thought it was like, wow, this is really dark and weird. And this doesn't remind me of like the cartoon, a cartoon or like a, uh, or like the Adam West series. But as it grew up and I started discovering more Tim Burton and I guess my taste matured, I'm like, oh no, this is great. Like, this is really good. And Michael Keaton was like an inspired choice. And like, I really grew, I've grown to appreciate this film more every time I watch it, just because my tastes have matured. I've seen more work from uh, Tim Burton. And like, so I appreciate it a lot more than when I first saw it as a little kid, because I just wanted big, fun action comic book. And this had a dark tone and it was, you know, it got, it went, it went to places that maybe my little mind didn't want it to go or didn't understand. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that really captures why a movie like Batman and Robin was so reviled. Well, it was so reviled, but it was also so beloved by you and me, Aaron, because we were looking for those those cartoony, big, actiony, goofy set pieces. The toys were great. The toys were great. But this movie doesn't provide that. Batman 89 wasn't about that. And so, yeah, um, I can understand why, you know, Bill, when you were... Um, seven that this wasn't a, a movie for you um, so I think I think that makes perfect sense um, Aaron when you first saw it did you like it no I, I was kind of in the same boat as Bill that I've grown to appreciate it more um, as the more times I've seen it um, I don't know if it's just me looking at it with a more critical eye you know being a more kind of movie person now you know just like appreciating things like the aesthetic you know the score um or even just like the performances and stuff like that like things that i wouldn't really think about um back when i first watched it okay yeah and i'd say your your experience watching it's probably improved from watching it on sci-fi to being able to watch in one sitting right what about you josh um i have always thought this movie was okay and I really still believe that. And I think my biggest problem with it is that it doesn't seem as much as a Batman movie as much as a Joker movie. Um, oh, I just, that's an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't really debate or criticize any of the performances. I think all the performances are good. I think a lot of the production value is really good. It's really just it, the movie seems really bored with Batman as a character for me. But that seems to be like the Burton. That's like his mo in those Batman movies too. Because what are the what's the most memorable character from the sequel? It's, it's Catwoman and Penguin. Right? Yeah, like he has more fun, and I think that's Burton in general. Like if you go through his movies outside of like, um, you know, like an Edward Scissorhands, for example. Obviously, Johnny Depp's character is extremely interesting. But if you look at like. Um, you like a Sleepy Hollow. He seems like he, he, he writes interesting good guys, but he has more fun, you know, directing like a, an over the top villain than he does like an introspective, brooding good guy. Definitely. And I think that's really why this movie doesn't work for me is I I do like the Joker as a villain. I think he's I think Jack Nicholson's great as him. And we'll get more into his performance later. But um, yeah, I definitely think just Tim Burton seems more interested with the villain than the hero which 
is not the first or the last time that happens in a Batman movie. And you could argue that in pretty much every Batman movie the Joker's in, that happens. Um, but for, for me, it just... It, it's it just kind of hindered me from fully enjoying it. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but Bill, what, what things did you like about the movie that you haven't mentioned already? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, I guess like what I think I, you know what? I really love the score. It's such an iconic score. I literally have the theme song playing in my head nonstop right now as we speak. And that's not from my Jameson sponsorship. That's literally all day <laughs> since we've been talking about it. You know, I know I had to be on the show. I was going to be on the show. Uh, didn't have to be on the show. I wanted to. Is that that score really has been in my head, and it's such a great, great score. Um, and, and the effects are and the effects and miniature work in this are really great. And like I said, I think Mike, it, like Jack Nicholson, you know, we'll get into the performances later. But I really like the the casting of Michael Keaton in this. I like and I, I appreciate the darkness of the, this movie. You know, a lot more kind of like a lot of people will, you know, compare it to like congruent to like the Frank Miller killing joke stuff. Like it's that darker side of Batman that really works. And it's a different shade of like what Nolan was doing because like it's it has a little more fun because it does have that air of just being a fun movie as well. Whereas Nolan's movies are very serious, very action oriented, and he's one of my favorite directors. So it's not a knock on his movies, but this has, still has that air of a little bit of that Adam West camp to it, because there is a lot of like silliness to it. There still is a lot of fun to it, despite it being a dark, introspective, brooding superhero and a very and, and a dark storyline. I mean. The Joker becomes the Joker because he falls into a vat of chemicals. You know, it's that's not like you know banana pie in the face. Hey, I'm the Joker. You know, it's 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 some real gritty stuff, and uh, yeah, and and like having grown into loving that early '80s '90s Burton stuff, like I appreciate it so much more. Of just like the, the style that Burton put into this. Of course, it's not my favorite one of his. Like I said, Batman Returns. It's definitely my favorite of his of his Batman movies, but like this was a really good Batman movie. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point about the the combination of the the camp and the dark because usually I do think of those as being two separate things. But oh yeah, this movie does kind of marry them together in a strange way that works more than I think most films are able to make it work. Yeah, it is a it's a weird movie. Like this yes. is not like. A Marvel movie, or even the the DCEU movies. This is a weird movie. Yeah, I in a good way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Aaron, what would be the closest comparison for another movie, another superhero movie? If you can think of one, if I, as I put you on the spot. Oh, I don't. I don't even know. I mean, I'm trying to think. I. <sighs> I don't. It's not going to be apples to apples. But it's kind of like, I want to say almost like Deadpool in some ways, mm. or Logan, because it takes it has all the trappings of a superhero movie, but it takes it in a different direction. It's a different type of superhero movie. Like Deadpool had its definitely dark moments, but was way more comedic and over the top. Um, so it it goes a little more overboard than Batman, and Logan is definitely has that t- takes it and kind of subverts it a bit. I don't know, maybe. Maybe those aren't good calls. Maybe, maybe Sin City. 
Yeah, I, I did think about Sin City, um, or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe as a failed example of trying to do both Spider-Man Three. No, oh, no, a movie that just... tried to be both dark and campy and just failed at both. That is true. It, it, it there was an attempt there. It would, uh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. So it's it's a yeah. it's a fine balancing act, I guess. Um, yeah, and it's, and, it, and it's one that there's a reason it's not done that that way anymore, just because it's it's not an easy sell. No, definitely not. And I I think. Tim Burton is that's kind of his aesthetic, so that's why it could work for him, and it wouldn't necessarily wa- work for others. The Watchmen. Oh, Watchmen! Oh, Watchmen that movie tries. Well, yeah, I mean that's a discussion for a different day. But that, I guess, that kind of feels to me that's this is the one where it feels like there was those moments of levity. There was this world, this different world built in there, and, and it was still dark at the same time. That's I think that's the one I'm going to go with. Okay, yeah, I think. I, I really put you both on the spot, but those are really good examples. So, um, good job. Uh, but Aaron, what what did you like about the movie? Well, I actually, I, one of the things I appreciate um, a little more. Like, I'm like Bill. I appreciate Keaton more times I see him in this movie, because um, he's he's a very different Bruce Wayne than almost like any per- portrayal of him. He's a very, you know, I think we're used to the you know Bruce Wayne he has his public persona and you know you know the way Christian Bale acts you know he he acts like a jerk you know and you know he he he's a playboy and stuff like that and this 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 Bruce Wayne is you know he's holed up in his mansion people don't even like know what he looks like that's how reclusive he is how you know um how yeah how reclusive and how like tortured he is um yeah yeah and it's just like um definitely different take on bruce wayne than pretty much any of the other ones right and it's just he he's he's you can see how like awkward he is with social interactions and stuff like that. That's a good point. I I always think of Bruce Wayne as being this suave side of the character, but he's kind of bumbling in this. Yeah, especially when it comes to his relationship with Vicky. Yeah, he's very. He's very uh, <laughs> sorry, it, it's it's a weird. It's a weird flex, as the kids would say. But <laughs> he's more Keaton's more like a modern Batman portrayal would be like the Lego Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Where is he's more like yeah, he's more hidden from the world and he's very like the public persona, even though it tries to be slick, is very bumbling and awkward. You know who his character kinda reminds me of a little bit? I mean, he's a little more talkative. Is he kind of reminds me of uh, the driver from Drive, where he he doesn't say a lot. He's very you know, a very inner person. Yeah, but like there's there's obviously there the attraction between him and Vicky. Yeah, I see that. That's a good call. Man. I mean, he doesn't murder people with a hammer, but oh well, this Batman mm, does murder people. He does though. It's a bad. It's a bad hammer. 
Uh, but uh, that's a dad joke. One of the <laughs> first of many. You know what, Bill? It's it's why we love you. Um, yeah. But I I think for me that side of Bruce Wayne it almost reminds me of um, Christopher Reeve and his Clark Kent and how bumbling he is and then how calm, cool, and collected he is as Superman. So I'm not sure if that could be an inspiration, but. Um, no, I think I'm really glad you mentioned that, Aaron, because that is a side of Bruce Wayne we don't usually see. Um, and, and also, aesthetic, I mean, I guess we're talking about Michael Keaton now, but it's like aesthetically, Michael Keaton is not the guy you would think that would play a Bruce Wayne. I mean, if you're thinking about like Adam West, I know he was comical, but clean cut, handsome dude, like same thing, like Val Kilmer was very, you know, suave. Clooney was, you know even with his Caesar cut was suave Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, you know, they're all very debonair, classically good looking guys. And then you have Michael Keaton, curly haired, you know, not traditionally handsome and known as a sarcastic comedic actor. He's not the choice you think of for Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And, and Aaron, I know that's something that, that you've talked to me about whenever people freak out about new casting for superheroes. You're always like, well, people didn't like Michael Keaton when he was cast. I mean, they literally got hate mail and, you know, requests when, you know, he was cast. It's like, no, you can't make Mr. Mom Batman. You know, this is going to be terrible. Yeah, because if you think of who would have been better at the time, you look at like, you know, traditionally, and I guess in 1989, someone like Tom Cruise or Richard Gere you know, would have fit the Bruce Wayne character probably better than anyone else. Mel Gibson, even, you know, if he cut his hair, you know, like those dudes would have been better choices in people's minds than, like I said, Mr. Mom. Yeah. And I think that that also speaks a little bit to what we expect from superheroes now, because if, if someone doesn't put on, you know, 50 pounds of muscle for the role, we don't think they're built to be a superhero. Whereas, I mean, one, we don't, I don't think we see Michael Keaton with his shirt off in this movie, do we? Uh, maybe the part where he's hanging upside down like a bat. That part is weird. Um, um, I forgot about that part. I just mostly know he's in a turtleneck. He does wear a lot of a turtleneck. So, yeah. So, we don't really get to see what kind of physique he has, but he's definitely not right. built. Because so Val Kilmer has, like, his shirt off for, like, half of <laughs> Batman Forever. Well, that was mostly from 1996 through 1998 for Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you saw The Saint, he did not wear a lot of shirts. <laughs> but I, I think that – so, I think we've come to expect – people to be more built when they're playing superheroes. And I don't think Michael Keaton fits that. But even if you think of going back to the, um, him jumping from Mr. Mom to this, even the actors that are mostly comedic that do become superheroes, they still get built. Like Chris Pratt infamously had, you know, um, you know, not the, the healthiest um, body, but uh, he now is, you know, pretty jacked. I think the only one who hasn't had to do that is Paul Rudd. I mean, Paul Rudd just doesn't age, so... He's also a tiny human being. <laughs> He's a small man. Um, but, I mean, he's Ant-Man. Yeah, it works. It, it, it does. He, I saw him in Bill Hader in person live once. Bill Hader's a giant, and Paul Rudd is... I could put him... He's like Polly Pocket. Um, <laughs> but, 
But yeah, it's there's no actors out there now that are playing superheroes that aren't, you know, Shaq Diesel right now. Exactly. That aren't aren't ripped to shit. Right. But but just so besides just the way he looks, I mean, Aaron, what do you think of what he brings to the role otherwise? I know you mentioned like the bumblingness. Is there what do you think he brings to the role of Batman itself? Well, um, I mean, it might just be the suit. And I think I actually think the first scene that he's in is a little bit awkward. Um, but I don't know. There is something just about him in the suit. I don't know if it's just his glare or I mean, he actually has a pretty decent Batman voice as far as Batman voices go. Yeah, he he, he doesn't go full Christian Bale with it, but right. He distinguishes no between them. No one ever should again. <laughs> I mean, it's it's He has a certain Dracula ness to him, definitely um, in the suit. Yeah. Speaking, I of think suit, it's I think it's funny because it's just like when I, I I you can you always remember like I can tell you what Clooney looked like and in the Batman suit. I can't tell you what Val Kilmer looked like in the Batman suit. But his, the picture, maybe it's just because I saw so many commercials of it, but like Aaron was saying, his eyes and his jawline, like in the bat suit, are like iconic. Like you can never forget them. Like, like if you're thinking of just the way he looked in that suit, like you'll probably remember Bale, but you know, Keaton just had this look when he donned the bat suit. He might not have, like, the guy inside of it might not physically be the representation you think Bruce Wayne or Batman is, but just the way his face built it out and just the, like Aaron was saying, the intensity of his eyes, just, like, the stone coldness of it really works. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I think that that goes to something that I know, um, Bill, I've heard you talk about a lot with um, former film editor Dan Cohen um, about um, Tom Hardy and his the acting he does with just his eyes. I feel like well, it's because everyone puts him in masks, so he has to yeah. do something. <laughs> but but I feel like Keen does that too in this to a degree. Yeah, no, he yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And it's funny because Tom Hardy was Bane. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, Bill, you mentioned um, you know just how Keen really stands out in the suit. What do you think of the suit overall? Uh, I thought the suit's great. Um, I remember, you know, that was it, it set the standard for what Batman suits and what for a lot of superhero suits are going to be. You know, um, it didn't go as crazy as Joel Schumacher's costume having the okay. very controversial bat nipples, uh, which I and, I and I know it sounds gross when I say it, but that was a big talking point. Yeah. And when that came out, everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so weird. And then uh, and I'm just like, all right, cool. And then they had the shot of the the badass too, which people were just like, okay, sure. Uh, great. He is defined buns. Great. Um, but no, that bat suit is iconic, man. Just the way it's built. Like when you think of Batman to me, like um, cinematic Batman, that is the standard bearer for great bat suits. Right. I, I like, I quite like the, the Christian Bale one. Oh yeah. Uh, But, um, I will say that, yeah, this one is so iconic. I mean, the Christian Bale one has the benefit of him being able to turn his head. But, I mean, baby steps, okay? Yes, yeah, that's very true. I forgot about that, yeah. But, I mean, like, that, even that Bale outfit takes a lot of cues from uh, Burton's. Definitely. 
definitely. And I, I think I forgot he can't turn his head. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing. But um, but no, I think it's a good point, especially considering in the comics we're so used to seeing that gray and black or blue um, combination. To have a fully black suit, as far as I know, this was the the first time it was done. Yes, as far as I know, that is definitely that was definitely it for sure. Yeah, and it works. It works really well. But I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so while we were talking about kind of the aesthetic of the suit, that that made me think of um, just the way that Gotham City looks. And I know, Aaron, that was something you kind of mentioned earlier. Um, tell me more about your thoughts on what Gotham City looks like. Well, I mean, this movie had such a huge influence uh, on the aesthetic of the animated series, what they call the the dark art deco or dark deco as the the producers like to call it. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, old, you know, art deco, you know, um, architecture, but, um, particularly with this movie, there's a little bit of it in, uh, Batman returns. There's a lot of, you know, gothicness uh, mixed into it. So, um, there's actually a different bat, uh, or a different, Wayne Manor in Returns, but his, like his Wayne Manor is like a castle, the the cathedral at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, even just City Hall with those huge imposing statues um, there. Like it's just the, the, it's just such an excellent blend of those two uh, styles. Um, yeah, I just I, I when uh, we, we talked about. Um, unusual Christmas movies. We did a piece on that and I talked about Batman returns. I said, I just, I can't get lost as much as I love Christopher Nolan's Batman. I can't get lost in his Gotham the same way that I can in burdens. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because this Gotham has a character to it that you don't typically see in other movies because I mean, if you think of the Nolan movies, they literally just filmed in major cities they filmed in chicago they filmed in pittsburgh so yeah and they filmed in uh, new york new jersey yeah yeah so so they're just taking kind of cities that already exist in our world and just kind of filling them with batman characters whereas this movie kind of required them to make their own world out of it and yeah i think that that art that dark um art deco style really adds something to this that obviously when you get to the schumacher movies with forever and robin um it takes it to a very weird place with the character. Sort of Cirque, Cirque du Soleil kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I mean, know what they... I was thinking Magic Mushrooms, Acid Trip. So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Bill, I don't know the last time you saw those movies, but there's literally these giant, like, Romo, uh, Roman Grecan, like, statues of, like, half-naked people holding up telescopes and things. And it's very, it's very interesting. That was also the point where um, this is like there are there is like, you know, some miniature work, um, which I think, Bill, you said, I think kind of goes unappreciated. Um, And then when they did the Schumacher movies, especially Batman Forever, he was very heavily focused on um, CGI. And I mean, just for that time period, it doesn't look as good. No, yeah. no, it doesn't. I what I what Aaron was saying is like the world building Burton does in all his movies, even even now, even though his movies may not be as great, 
he always does an interesting job in world building, like even like USC, like uh, Miss Peregrine School for Gifted Children, like that even had like a lot of people didn't like that movie. I, I didn't mind it. Um, he knows how to build a unique world that is not a perversion, but like a fantastical view of the real world. And so that's what makes so every corner, like Josh, uh, Aaron, you were saying, you can get lost in every street corner of a Tim Burton movie, especially the Batman ones. And that's what's so cool about it. I feel like sometimes it felt like during the Christmas, like the, the I mean, that Christmas, the parade scene, I think it was during Christmas. That feels a little sound stagey, you know? Yeah. But because it probably is. But like he does a really good job of taking that like art deco style infusing it with like modern tech and making it like logical because I've seen that other people try and do that. And it's just like, what, what am I watching? What time period is this? Like even like the, the current stuff, like some of the stuff in the Nolan Batman sometimes gets a little retro and you're like, ah, okay, I guess I get that. But you know, I, that's why I really like the world he builds because it's so unique. It's dark. And it's just like, it gets that Frank Miller, maybe not directly inspired, but like that film noir. It's film noir meets camp. Yeah. So it's it's black and white crashing with neon at the same time. So yeah, it's think of like an old, like an old film of just like it's black and white that a neon sign goes on. And that's exactly what this movie is. I mean, they do, they do that thing with the spinning newspaper. Oh God. Oh, I love I, I love it <laughs> because it's such a it, that's such an homage to the show, and like it, it, that's and that's what makes it great. That's what makes it unique, and that's like there's it's a style. A lot of comic book movies don't have style anymore. Oh they right, have, I mean this they, movie has more spectacle. style than like the past like fifteen Marvel movies. Yeah, well, I mean not to knock Marvel, but I mean they there are there is a certain homogenized nature to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, and I, I, as much as I love Marvel, I can't disagree with that. And I think part- I both. I think Black Panther maybe stands out. That oh, definitely. Yeah, that yeah. definitely. That for sure. Because everything else feels like generic Europe, generic America. And I guess you could say Thor too. Thor, not Thor two. That, <laughs> that movie's fucking garbage. Um, is is you know, there's the E rating. Um, and is but you know Thor one. Definitely, and Thor three, which I haven't seen all of. Like, there's definitely great world building in there, and Guardians to some extent too, because in space. But that's kind of cheating, because and in a way, I think space. those movies kind of owe that just the idea of doing that to a movie like this. Yeah. Oh sure, yeah. And this, and something that you both mentioned is just kind of the, almost the agelessness of this Gotham, because it does seem kind of gangsterish with the the shootouts between the cops and the 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 henchman um but i don't know if anyone has a tommy gun but it almost seems like it should be like out of the the 30s or 40s right you're expecting like james cagney to pop out yeah exactly um oh, i only wish <laughs> but uh bill i i think you mentioned um the miniatures and i was curious what you thought about the special effects as a whole well see i'm a i'm a huge nerd for stuff like that like i lo- like that's one of the reasons like i loved like lord of the rings it was because it was a nice complement of modern special effects. You know, it, it was compliment, modern special effects complemented 
practical effects. Right. And I think I think practical effects work really great, and they work really well here. And it fits the aesthetic of like that thing with Bert going with that, you know, it still feels like a comic book and it feels like there's a campiness to it. And I feel like using miniatures really uh, bolsters that theme. So I really like the effects. They did. And, and, and there was, you know, special effects in there, too. And it's aged well, I think. Um, there's other movies you'll see where like, Ugh. but this yeah. even Batman movies, like you said, like the Schumacher ones, especially. But. This is aged well for sure. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, Aaron, you know more about special effects than I do. Um, how would you rate these? Well, no, I agree with Bill. Uh, like I said, it, it's aged better than the Schumacher movies. Um, it, it's almost it's not one hundred percent concerned with looking one hundred you know realistic, but just it it sells it. Right. And and because it's part of a such a stylized world, it kind of bleeds into it more. Right. Right. And I, I think that's that's true. And like I said, I, I'm not necessarily qualified enough to talk about it as much as you are. Um was there anything you noticed that was a miniature? Anything that I noticed that was a miniature? Yeah, like like this is definitely a miniature. I feel like the the I'm gonna get the the his jet, the bad plane oh yeah the the, the, the bat wing uh, the bat wing was definitely it. a miniature and i th- i think again i think they relied a lot on cgi when that showed up in batman forever and it just doesn't look as good mm. um certainly you know there is some sort of like cgi or whatever the late 80s version of cgi um yeah but I think the the only effect while we're talking about vehicles that really stuck out to me is kind of not looking great was when he put the shields up over the Batmobile. Right. I'm not sure if that was CGI or if that was stop motion. It kind of looked like stop motion to me. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah it, did, it looked like some form of animation. I wasn't sure if it was computer or not. Yeah. So I, that that just kind of stuck out to me a bit. Um, how, Aaron, how does this, this Batmobile rank among the other Batmobiles? Uh, well... The Tumblr is my favorite just because of the sheer amount of things that it can do. I mean, I, you know, the, 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 the chase in Batman Begins is probably my favorite, you know, car chase in any movie. Um, but this one's solid. I think if you look at all the other designs that they've went through, I mean, the ones in the Schumacher movies are okay. Um... Yeah, um, I don't know if it's my favorite, like I said, or I, I said it's not my favorite, but um, I think bet- between this, uh, the Tumblr, and uh, actually, I like the one from Batman vs. Superman a lot. I think that, you know, th- those are the, the top tier um, as far as cinematic Batman vehicles. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Bill, do you have a favorite Batmobile? This one. Okay. Hands down. I don't know. Like, the other ones are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But this one, to me, will ever... This was the cool Batmobile. To me, it still would work if you put it out there today. Um, The other ones just feel like a little bit like souped-up tanks a bit. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like... 
I don't know. There's something like it's again. It's like this classic. And I know there was a version of it in the series too. So it's like this is like a classic Batmobile. I love it. It's to me that this is the number one. Yeah, it, it's very sleek in a way the others aren't. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a very sleek. It fits. I think it like it has a timeless feel. Like yeah, it worked in 1989 and it could work in 2019. Yeah. I, I want to just to give an honorable mention to Adam West Batmobile that has a special I mean, place in my heart. I mean, yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, you got plenty of room for both people to sit. You don't have to worry about doors. Just hop right in. You just have to worry about the nuclear engine or whatever. Yeah, I mean, w- what's a car without a nuclear engine? I mean, we've all seen Back to the Future. Listen, where they where he's going, he doesn't need roads. Exactly. Um, so while we're talking about cool and sleek, I feel like we really ought to mention the fact that. Um, Prince plays such a big part of this movie. Oh, he absolutely does. Absolutely, this was inescapable. Like when the the Batman soundtrack was, uh, I think, hit number one of the Billboard charts. Prince was the hottest thing. He was super huge, and uh, I I did a little I did a little sampling of it because you know back when I was in 1989, I wasn't exactly into Prince because my parents were like you shall not watch MTV. It is the devil's playground. Um, and if you think I'm joking, you have never met my mom. Uh, Doris is a very religious person. Um, so, you know, I had just seen the Bat Dance music video because it was on some Nickelodeon show. Um, I know a lot of people don't love it if they're big Prince fans. But if you listen back to the soundtrack, this thing, this thing rips, dude. It, it's got some really interesting stuff on there. Um you know, it you don't see too many musical pieces like this anymore. Where it's like, here is a record that is uh, uh, designed for a movie. Right. It's usually just, even when soundtracks were hot, it was still, you know, for example, the Armageddon soundtrack, like almost ten years later, that was incidental. It was just like, here's the Aerosmith song we'll play, and here's a whole bunch of shit thrown on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was a record. By major recording artists for a movie, something that happened a lot during the '80s. You know, Kenny Loggins and Flashdance. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, or, there's stuff that happened like that. Or, uh, or uh, in uh, Top Gun. Top Gun, yeah, and then, and then also you had, um, you know, you had like, uh, you know, and Batman movies usually had great soundtracks, like Batman Forever. Like, you go back to that that record, it is it's really good. Yeah. There's some really good stuff. They got U two on there. You got Kiss from a Rose by Seal, which is like a top ballad of the 90s. Love it. You know, you know. so you got a lot of great stuff on there. But Prince's involvement on this just like solidified how huge uh, this movie was. So and then he kind of changed his aesthetic to have fit that Joker aesthetic, too. Yeah, and no, I, I, I do think it, it speaks to how big a movie this was that they were able to get him involved in this at all. I will. I will say it's interesting because it's, it is like the one part of this movie that almost like that actually ages it. Yeah, that I can see. Um, if you listen to this outside of the movie, you'd be like, "This is really good music." But yeah, inside the music, it definitely feels like this feels like a record from 1989. They're just playing here. Kind of like when you, you ever watch Ghostbusters two, when they have Bobby Brown and or it was a new edition doing like the songs. Like the main theme for Ghostbusters, not like the Ghostbusters intro, but there's the, the song they play throughout. Like, it makes that movie feel super dated. Right, right. And I, I guess that's 
the danger anytime you try to pull in a, a big name into your movie musically. I don't know, but there is a for so there there's a certain endearingness to it. Just like again, like you you just something you would not see today. Just see the Joker dancing to Prince. Yeah, and I think that's like because you know like yeah. Suicide Squad tried to do with like it's like jukebox soundtrack. You know, trying to ape the aesthetic of Guardians of the Galaxy, but like like this is like. You know, this is like singular, like it, it can't be replicated. Okay. One, I, I can't forgive you for making me think of Suicide Squad again. I try to erase that movie from my memory as much as possible. Um, you but, didn't You didn't do a podcast with Dan Cohen years ago uh-huh, where yeah. you didn't see the movie, but Dan insisted that you host the podcast. So you were unemployed and got really drunk and had to <laughs> ask him questions. I didn't l- <laughs> listen to him lose his freaking mind. <laughs> For an hour and a half about this man, he he was incensed, and, and that is why you are a saint. And I will say that was one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've ever listened to. I was I I, I barely remember any questions I asked from that man. I was I was not that was not a time for me. <laughs> and, and but you still did a fantastic job. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, but I think I I definitely agree with both of you um, with what Prince brings to this. Um, although I, I definitely think that sequence where he's through, he's going through the museum and uh, blasting Prince on the the the, the boombox is one of my favorite scenes of the movie, just because of how outlandish it is. Yeah, and it, it fits the time too. It just makes sense that he like it's so it, like it's such an over the top scene showing Jack Nicholson thing, but. Like you can see the Joker doing that, yeah. Like, like it would work with no other villain really, but the Joker. No, no, definitely not. And I, I think that's why they can get away with it. Um. So I want to transition a little bit into some of the some of the performances, some of the actors. I know we we've already talked about Keen, um, Bill. Someone that you were really excited to talk about was Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. Goddamn right I want to talk about Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. He is barely in this movie, but if you wanted just a double take, a spit take, double take, holy shit moment, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, the, the district attorney of Gotham City, Harvey Dent, who we know is going to be Two-Face later, we didn't probably know at the time, but a lot of people probably didn't even know the Two-Face character that well. I didn't even know Two-Face until the animated series, really. Hmm. Um and then when you go back and watch it, it's like, and there's Billy D. Williams. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. And there were I, I've read in places like there were plans that maybe one day Billy D. Williams would play Two-Face. You know, honestly, I'm glad that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, I love Billy D. Williams as Lando. Don't get me wrong. But as Two-Face, no, no, I don't care who's directing that. That's not going to work. Well, especially considering where the character went when Tommy Lee Jones played him. Oof. Yeah. Slightly over the top. Just slightly. Um, Aaron, what did you think of Billy D. Williams in this? Uh, I mean, I, I love me some Billy D. Um, I just, I'm just put in a good mood every time I see him on screen, honestly, but like, there's not, there's not much else to say. <laughs> yeah. He's not exactly in it for very long, but it's just like, I think it's, it's a lot of people don't realize like, he was the first Harvey Dent. 
Yeah, and it, it does make me think that so much of this movie feels like a one-off where they weren't really banking on it becoming a a really big series or really leading to anything else. But the fact that they had Billy Dee Williams as Harvey Dent, I think is that slight sign that they said, maybe we can go somewhere with this. Maybe we can make a full series out of this. And if so, you know, we can bank on this guy. But I I am kind of disappointed we don't live in that world where Billy Dee Williams got to be Two-Face. Um, supposedly. No, we did, actually. Yeah, in the he Lego was, Batman movie. That's correct. Uh, where he had, like, two lines. Where, like, Conan O'Brien was the 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 Riddler, <laughs> who had less than that. <laughs> that is a good Batman movie, though. I, I do. I'm a fan oh, it's of excellent. I love that movie. I... I need to watch that again. Um, so yeah, so I think we're all pretty much on the same board with with Billy D in this one. Uh, Aaron, what did you think of um, Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale? Um, so I remember going in this movie of like eh, she's a whatever love interest, and she's still not the best. I think she actually works better as a plot device than as a love interest. I actually like the way that. She, you know, she's investigating, you know, Batman and Bruce Wayne and stuff like that. I actually enjoy that part of the movie because it's a very, like, not the way you would have thought they would have explained, you know, like, this is Batman. This is his deal. Like, you know, they examine Batman from a distance. Right. We don't actually hear uh, Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne talk about his parents dying. Right. It's all her finding it out through her investigations yeah which i don't know i for some reason i just find that really interesting um as a love interest i mean she certainly has chemistry with michael keaton um i know a lot of people disliked uh in batman begins uh katie holmes i mean i i liked her relationship with uh christian bale on that so that's probably still my favorite Batman romance out of the um, live action movies. High school Bill Bodkin's getting very defensive about Katie Holmes at this moment. He's going to, I'm going to hold him back. Ooh, I'm very curious to hear about that. I just had pictures of her in my locker, like any 1998 boy. Okay. That's fair. Um, but it's funny about Kim Basinger. It was like, that was another call that I don't know how many people love because at the time Kim Basinger was like, she was a sex symbol in Hollywood. You know what I mean? She was, and a lot of people didn't appreciate her as an actress. Later, mm. we would know, obviously, win an Oscar. But, and although I didn't love her role for that, um, she would like it, it. She, like, I wish they had written this part differently. Yeah. Because I, I think, like, her and, and Keaton did not work tremendously as a, as a, a couple. They didn't have the best chemistry, mm. but they worked well as antagonists. Like they were good at having an antagonistic relationship, not good at having a, a romantic relationship as those characters. So I almost w- wish that Vicky Vale w- was used more as less of a romantic interest and more of a, a character. And that that you know Bruce you know Batman's gonna say you know he's gonna save the but I mean you, I guess you had to invest like why is he gonna save this woman well, he's in a relationship with her or he's interested in her like I wish she had been this more of a strong female character 
who was not it didn't end up being the the prototypical damsel in distress. I will say that it it got very irritating. Like the first time she screamed, I'm like, wow, she has a great scream. After hearing it like the twelfth time, I'm like, okay, enough. Yeah, it's like there there was a better character of Vicky Vale than what they gave Kim Basinger on the on the page, and and Tim Burton's done fairly well. Like you would see in Batman Returns, like how great he was with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, with writing Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, and I wish that that had they had played a little bit more of that had been written stronger. Yeah, and I I think you both really hit the nail on the head in that she is she's, she's serviceable. Well, yeah, I mean she she does fine in the in the portrayal, but the script doesn't do in her favors because she is more of a plot device in terms of giving us the backstory on Bruce Wayne, and yeah, it's more interesting when they're fighting and when they're not sure if they can trust each other than when they're actually romancing I actually I really like the scene where he's trying to explain where he like I'm Batman but he keeps dancing around it oh yeah that's a good example of him being kind of bumbling right um so yeah I I wish they had just done more with her um with that because yeah just she ends up you're right Bill she just ends up being a a damsel in distress for too much of it I think there's a better like I would love it if down the road they actually revisit the Vicky Vale character and write her stronger. Yeah. I think like, especially if you're going to, if that was like the new Pattinson Batman movie, I'd be like, okay, I, I can get behind this. I, I can, I can dig this. Right. Because there's never really been a, a set, uh, romantic partner for Batman. I will say that this movie irks me a little bit because it kind of starts the trend of chicks are Batman's kryptonite. Whereas like, I, I meet a woman in each movie. I tell her my secret identity. And then she's in peril. Yeah, then, yeah. Who is it in Batman and, and Robin? So that's the one movie that they don't really do it. He has oh. a girlfriend, but she's a sort of like uh, a very minor character. Do they even give her a name? They, they might have at one point, but... I mean, well, but Poison Ivy's is kryptonite in that. Right, yeah. So it's it, it's just bat, bat, they sort of turn Batman into James Bond. He always has another woman in each movie. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Um, no, I think you, you both are totally right about that. Um, so before we get to the, the really big performance of this movie, um, any other characters that stand out to you both? Uh, give me one second because I got to remember the rest of the cast. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think I always liked because um, I went to beef on his name. Hold on one second. Um, I liked Michael Go and Michael Pat Gow. Gow, sorry, yeah. and Pat Hingle as um, Alfred. Michael Gow as Alfred and Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. Uh, both really work for me. I really like both those characters. Then obviously they're the few characters who carry over. Um, into the Schumacher versions too, so that was nice continuity. And then uh, you know Jack Palance tearing it up as Carl Grissom, the the boss of the Joker, who makes a cameo in the beginning. Yeah, Aaron, any anyone you'd like to add? Uh, I like Knox a lot. Okay, that's Robert Wool. Yeah, he's the he's a fellow reporter of Vicky Vale. Yeah, again, I think I just I again I for some reason I really enjoyed that. Um, there's sort of a his girl Friday relationship he has with Vicky Vale that I like. 
Yeah, it's very nineteen. It's very comic booky, like nineteen forties serial type a deal, like oh, cigar chewing, cigar boss. You get back here, you're on deadline, you know, type deal. Yeah, I, I actually am gonna disagree. I actually hate that character. I think he is a sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, I'm sure he is. He just comes in like the first time he sees Vicky Vale, he just like immediately like talks about having her photograph him nude. It's like, whoa, like get out of here. Oh well I I forgot that part. <laughs> yeah, and but he he consistently like asks her out on dates and everything. He's just a creep in this whole movie. That's a that's a good point. So I hated him. But I, I see what you mean in terms of they do have a despite that they do have a playful dynamic, but just I'm thinking post Me Too, it just comes off as really kind of icky. Right, okay. Um, but I, I will agree with you, Bill, that um, Michael Gao is, he's really delightful as Alfred. He's got this this interesting grandfather um, persona to him, which I can't necessarily understand why he would be a butler at that age, but he he's just so charming, and he's such a good father figure for Bruce Wayne that I can put up with the fact that's kind of weird that he's so old and still picking up after his one, adopted son. One, I think the one character I think we could like, you could agree throughout the ba- iterations of Batman has always been well cast, whether it's Michael Gao or Michael Caine or Jeremy Irons. Like it's all worked. They've like they yeah. they've they always seem to have nailed the Alfred character. That's true. I, I think. <laughs> that is one casting that no one's ever argued with. Astute observations from me. <laughs> uh, it's true. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Alfred? He's he's, well, he's much... going to get his own show now. Uh, I, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Pennyworth. Oh, and they also nailed him on Gotham, too. Like, and they gave him a different type of, you know, he was a very different character. He's more like, I think it was like late 40s or early 50s, like, but still kind of a rough and ready type of Alfred. But yeah, he will have his own show on epics about his days as a young man, as an, an agent. I, I didn't even know that was a channel. Um, yes. But yeah, Alfred, Alfred is, he's the real hero of this movie. I, I think that goes without saying. Um, but so I, I can't believe we've managed to go this long without talking about probably, well, not probably, definitely the biggest name of this movie, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Um, Bill, I want to go to you first. How do you like Nicholson here? I mean, he's Jack Nicholson as the Joker. I mean, that's literally what he is. Like, he just hams the shit out of this thing so hard. It shouldn't work. I should hate this. But it's Jack Nicholson. He just slays and he just owns every bit of just over the topness and camp and ridiculousness that he imbues into this character. He does not. It's never a wink and a nod. It's like, hey, it's me, Jack, being a guy, you know, like that's basically and that's a terrible impersonation. But it's (laughs) like that's kind of what his latter day characters were. It's just I'm Jack Nicholson pretending to be somebody Whereas he owned every moment of being the Joker. Mm. And he added that sense of just by him being there, that sense of gravity of just like, here's multi-time Oscar winner, serious actor, Jack Nicholson um, in this movie. So to add credence to the fact that like, this is to be taken seriously. 
um, not just from a box office perspective, but from a dramatic perspective. But also it's like he's like – it was a role he's almost born to play because he's got that devil – he put this – not this giddy, hyperactive – I mean he was giddy and hyperactive, but like kind of this like that constant laughing like cartoonishness of the Joker at times that maybe yeah. you sometimes see with like the Mark Hamill voiced one. But this was – he was sadistic and evil – and intense and unpredictable and chaotic, but still goofy and weird and high strung. And that really defined, I thought it, it's a, it's a hell of a performance. It's the showstopper. And that's why people like he outshines everyone in this movie and, yeah. and he's supposed to, but I mean, like again, Burton has a ball directing and writing for this guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to throw it to you. So, He's not certainly not my favorite Joker. Uh, I mean, you know, Hamill and Ledger are both kind of on a pedestal above anybody else, but um, I certainly enjoy him quite a bit. Um, I think, um, again, if you compare him to like Ledger or Joker, you know, sometimes I don't feel like his laughs are maybe his genuine feeling, but I also feel like this is a sort of Joker that's sort of self-aware of himself and some of the the times when he's acting silly. Mm. Um, I mean, I I think there are some aspects of like, oh, okay, he has this joy buzzer that like fries this guy. It's like, okay, where did he get that? Who invented it? It's like where where's Batman get his wonderful toys? Where do you get yours? Yeah. Uh, but there are there are you know moments you know you know when he he's just like give me my gun and he shoots his henchman who's been his right hand man the entire yeah movie it it, it comes it's actually really funny um, right just the the sadistic humor of him that. Jack Nicholson pulls off. Do you have a favorite scene of him? I love the part where he pulls out the. I mean, I, everyone's going to point to that last scene. Never dance with the devil in the pale moonlight, or the part where Vicky Vale. But I still cannot never get over the point. It's like he takes out that ridiculously long revolver <laughs> and he shoots down the Batwing because that's such a moment where it's like it should not work it should be the stupidest thing you've ever seen yeah but because it's jack nicholson because he brings such a weight to the role and because he's he's established the rules that this is an unpredictable sadistic character who's also not a dummy like he's a a, like a legendary hitman so he knows what he's doing for the most part i mean he might be unhinged but he still has a plan and he's able to bring down a Batwing with this gun, which should be ridiculous, but it works. And that, to me, that's my that's my part. Yeah, and he, and he doesn't even look like he believes that he was able to do it, but he's so giddy after it happens. Yeah, but I mean, it's like, did he not believe he was going to do it, or is he just he's insane? Yeah, yeah. And the, the interesting thing about his insanity, I, I feel like as far as Joker characters go. He actually has kind of a weak motivation. He's just like, he's a hitman, he falls into acid, and then he goes insane and wants to kill everybody. But again, it's it's all in the execution that, you know, Jack Nicholson makes it work. Um, right. I, I think there's not enough time to really pull apart his motivation because he's just chewing up so much scenery 
that he, he just everything kind of goes quiet because he's in the spotlight. And also, it's just like we look at him, we're looking at him 30 years later, and he really set the groundwork for everyone else. Yeah. Like, Hamill's Joker, to me, reminds me more of Nicholson's Joker than Cesar Romero's Joker, because that's the only one you could really compare him to. Um, yeah. And then the same thing from, you know, from Heath Ledger's, which is, you know, well, I think we could all, I mean, we maybe we don't, uh, is probably the best Joker. Um, yeah, uh, because that's sure. Shit ain't Jared Leto. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Not we can all agree on that. That's for sure. Yeah. But I mean, like, to me, I think like the reason, you know, there's a lot of blueprints laid for, by Jack Nicholson for both those performances. Cause that's one of, that's out of Luke Skywalker. That's Hamill's most famous role. And Heath Ledger won an Oscar, you know, has remembered as one of the great on-screen villains of the last, you know, this century. Yeah. And I, yeah, I definitely can't disagree with, with Ledger being um, the greatest. Although I think Hamill brings something very different just because he is in that animated um, role. But no, w- without Jack Nicholson, none of those would have existed. He is really the reason that this character has become such a, such a big part of our culture. I mean, like going to, you know, you can go to any... Uh, store um, that sells like graphic tees and you like are going to find a Batman shirt and maybe you're going to find a Joker shirt next to it just um, you know he's the reason why Hot Topic has Joker stuff like pretty much all over one side of their store um, like he's he's become just this big hit and I think without Jack Nicholson you wouldn't have that yeah because it was really like the Killing Joke stuff was really what inspired a lot of that rejuvenation in Joker uh, that rejuvenated like interest, but like, yeah, Jack Nicholson. If he doesn't nail that role, or if it's put in lesser hands, it's it's not as good. Right, but the, the the like I said earlier, the problem for me is just that it it overshadows everything else in this movie. That the movie just seems so much more interested in in him, um, and like that's I don't want to knock uh, Keaton or anyone else, but it's just so hard to to stay up with with Nicholson when he is just going all over the place and being his goofiest, but still most maniacally uh, out there character. So it's, it's such a a wild character and it, it, I think like you said, Bill, it shouldn't work, um, but somehow it does. So I think that is for me, the, the, the biggest strength of this movie, but also kind of its biggest weakness, just because nothing else kind of stands in comparison to it. I agree. I like, that's what you remember most because you know, Keaton's got to play, um, you know, he has to like, he has to be this dour brooding character and allow and play. He becomes second banana to, you know, the Joker, the other benefit we, he, although the other benefit, the other actors playing Batman have had, like, you know, the animated series, like, you know, Mark Hamill's Joker isn't in every week. So you're established Batman better. You know, you know, you're, you know what the Batman character is going to be. And the uh, same thing with Bale. Like, Bale had a bunch of movies without the Joker. I had one movie, I'll say, without the Joker. But you have this established, excuse me, 
established relationship. And that's why I think the Batman character works better in the second movie, because now you know how you know his ins and outs, you know his quirks, you know how he's going to react to certain things. So you have this, you know, as over the top as Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer are, you know how Michael Keaton's going to how he's going to bounce off those people. Speaking of how Batman acts is a good way to bring up. So I I don't know how controversial it was at the time. Um, One of the things about this Batman is that he does kill the henchmen. He kills the Joker. Is that something that bugs you personally? Or are you like me where I've just, this is the version of Batman that Burton decided to create. When he was introduced in, you know, the the 30s, he he did originally kill. And this is also a, this is a darker version of Batman. Is that is is that something that bothers you? Or like I said, is it something like with me where you just accept it? Um, hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Because they make yeah, a very it, big deal about it with Christian Bale. Well, I think it's a, just a different. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I think it fits the aesthetic of what Burton's going for. It, it's dark, you know, and it's and it's 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 a it's it's very noir in a lot. It's like a hyper noir in that in many ways. But I don't know. It didn't. It didn't like. I, I think the Joker dying doesn't bother me because it's just like that makes sense. The way it's done, the way it is. And that's, you know, kind of how movies were back then. <laughs> you know, the bad guy dies. Yeah. He gets the Hans Gruber ending, you know. <laughs> and um, the henchman part was weird, I got to say. But yeah. I, the Joker part does it. Like, I'm not sitting there like, oh, my God, Batman murders a guy. You know, it, it, it works. It's more shocking in the Nolan Batman ones because, because again, you're removed – so far from this movie that the Nolan he doesn't really kill that many people or if it does uh, does he kill Ra's al Ghul indirectly Ra- he yeah, lets it's, him it's, die it's indirect so yeah, it's I mean, the, never the, 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 they, they have a very like their mantras and their ideal sets are very different you know you know Michael Keaton's you know is you know sort of he's a you know a character fueled by vengeance whereas you know Bales is more, you know, fueled by a sense of justice and, you know, by him yeah. not killing, you know, you know, showing compassion that that's like he says, that's what separates us well, from they, them. And they let the bad guys kill people like the Joker kills people. Ra's al Ghul kills people. Right. I like, mean, and, you, and, you can so, argue that, you know, whether or not that's, you know, it's just a, a way so that villains can live in the comics you know, they could, they, they could keep coming back. Um, sure. But I mean, if you think about the Nolan ones, it's like the bad guys do the killing. Batman doesn't. Right. And so I, it's more shocking when you see that. Yeah. And I think for me, that's what, what bothers me in this one about it is Aaron. I, I, I know you mentioned it historically, originally Batman did kill people in the comics, but I've gotten so used to this idea of Batman having that one role of, no, I can't cross that line. That's what separates me from the villains. Like you said, Bill, um, so that I remember when when Batman vs Superman came out and uh, Ben Affleck's Batman is going around and killing people pretty violently and uh, scarring them and really just holding nothing back. 
it was really jarring for me and it made it harder for me to really view him as this this righteous character so he he's definitely not as violent in this one so it doesn't i mean but do we hold batman to a higher pedestal i mean the, the avengers in the new marvel movies don't seem to have any qualms with with the i guess the exception of spider-man right well i think that's the thing that spider-man We've come to accept that that's part of his character is that he doesn't kill people. And I think that's something that a lot of us have come to accept about Batman. So I, I think if I was viewing this in a vacuum, it does it bother me? Probably not. But knowing that I've grown accustomed to this character as someone who has a role where he doesn't kill, it just is a bit jarring. It's jarring, but it, it still works within the world of the, st- of the story Burton's telling, though. You know what I mean? In my opinion, because it's like Burton is telling – because I'm just reading some Wikipedia you know, yeah. notes and articles. It's just like they're going for this antihero. Like they're going for the fact that the Joker and Batman are both freaks. You know what I mean? That they kind yeah. of out, operate outside of society. And to me, it's just like if you're operating outside of society, like that means you, you're not going to have that same moral code that you know we see Batman in later movies and iterations uh, have. No, and I, I think you both make good points. I, I think that particularly is a good point um, about them both being these outsiders um, that can't really or don't really follow the norms of society. So I, I understand it. It just, you know, for whatever reason, it just doesn't go with my typical understanding of the character. But I can't I can't say it's not a legitimate one because I think, yeah, this is in line with what Byrne was going for. But um, no, it's it's definitely an interesting debate. Um, so, Aaron, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Uh, Aaron, anything else about the movie that we haven't discussed yet that you um, want to talk about? Maybe anything that you didn't like about it? Hmm. And, Bill, same question for you. Anything we've brought up or anything that you just actively didn't like about it? Hmm. Actively didn't like about this movie. I don't think there's anything like I just sit there like I can look at other Batman movies and be like I actively did not like this. Um, this is I, no, no. There's nothing about this movie where I sit there like it, it's not my favorite Batman movie. It's not my favorite Burton Batman movie, but it's still it's still a good enjoyable film. Like I said, the Vicky Vale character that needed to be written better um, because I think if you were giving Kim Basinger more to work with. I think everyone would have been really surprised at how how good she would have been, um, and I think that's that's like my biggest complaint about the movie. And there are some scenes that are just a little too, you know, wonky, you know, wacky, you know, that just it, it goes a little excessive at times. But it's still a good movie in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. I can't think of anything to be honest. Okay, the the one thing that I still don't understand is the. When they're in um, Vicky Vale's apartment, and Aaron, like you mentioned, uh, Bruce Wayne's trying to explain that he's Batman, and then the Joker comes, and the 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 line where Bruce Wayne grabs the uh, the fireplace poker and he starts smashing things, he's like, "You want to get crazy? Let's get crazy." It's like, where is this coming from? This is so over the top for this Bruce Wayne character, who's otherwise so mild mannered. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about all the nude paintings in the apartment. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, there's a bunch of nude oh. paintings in the apartment that, like, outside her apartment, inner apartment. 
That was the fucking 80s, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really just paving the way for the Schumacher films. Maybe. It all makes sense now. Um, yeah, that scene is, that seems like, that was like a deleted scene they kept in. <laughs> it was like, because yeah. that that's that's typical Michael Keaton. I guess you could explain it away as he was so emotional, he built himself up to reveal he was Batman, I guess. And that's his catharsis. But at the same time, yeah, it's a little. At the same time, that's actually one of my favorite <laughs> moments from him in this movie i don't know if it's just because it is so over the top at times i wish michael keaton had actually played the joker you know what i would i would love to see that alternate world that would be very interesting but some people are now calling but i think that's before pattinson got cast they were like you know maybe we should have michael keaton play old batman and I'd be like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Right. Where, oh, Bill, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the Batman Beyond series. Yeah, that's kind of like, it was like, he's, uh, whoever it is, is the new Batman. And then Bruce Wayne is kind of like the quasi Alfred in the, in the, in the role. Yeah. I, w- I would love to see that. I think, I think that'd be great. I agree. I think Michael Keaton, if they could get him back for that, that'd be fantastic. But I think I read that the only way he'd come back is if Byrne was with it too. And yeah, Burton these days is just not. I don't know. He's there's some lack about his films these days. Yeah, he's he's going through something. It's been going for like twenty years now at this point. Yeah, for real. Yeah, but um, no, I think you, I think you both give good points to to make me somewhat a little bit more uh, forgiving of that that moment. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to close with uh, maybe the hardest question of all. Um, of where do you rank this among all of the many, many, many Batman movies? Um, Aaron, I want to throw it to you first. Well, I think just to be just to keep it simple, we're talking about theatrical um, theatrical movies, uh, all live action. So this 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 keep the animated movies out of it. I mean, uh, you can include the, the theatrical release of uh, Mask of Phantasm if you wanted. I, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, not to just to make it more simple. Okay. Um, and maybe not everyone on this podcast has watched that movie. Ex- and that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's do the movies that we, I think we've all seen. Fair, so. fair. Okay, but where would you rank this, Aaron? If I'm going from the bottom to the top, I would have to say that at the very bottom is, of course... Batman and Robin. I loved you when I was five. I'm not five anymore. Um, so Batman and Robin. Then probably uh, Batman versus Superman, which I'm, it's not a movie I hate, but it actually does a lot of interesting things. It's just I think it doesn't do those things well enough. I hope you're ready for some Dan Cohen hate mail. Dan, oh. if you're listening, you can always you know let me know what you think. So there's that movie, then probably Batman Forever, which is a fun movie. Um, you could argue that Jim Carrey could have made an, an interesting Joker, though he kind of just plays Jim Carrey in that movie. So, no. um, okay, so there's Batman What's Forever. What's interesting is that it was supposed to be Robin Williams. That that would have been interesting. Yeah. So the, the, there's Batman Forever. Then I would probably put The Dark Knight Rises, followed by Batman Returns, then Batman 89, and tied are Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. 
Well, that's pretty high up. Okay. Um, you didn't list uh, Adam West Batman. Well, oh, I wasn't sure if we were counting that one either. I would count that one. Well, the the movie of it. That movie is fucking gold. Yeah, it is. Okay, I think that one goes. Oh, right. Lego Lego Batman too. Oh yeah. Like I, no, you guys are making it too complicated. <laughs> nope, not at all. Uh, the, the, the Batman, Batman with Adam West goes under uh, Batman, uh, or it goes under The Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Um, Bill, have you okay. had time to, to think this very, um, yeah, very deep and philosophical uh, question over? Yeah, I, I just opened up. Well, Aaron was talking. I opened a Google Doc and threw everything together as fast as I could. Um, okay, so from the bottom up, Batman and Robin, uh, Batman Forever, which used to be one of my favorite movies of all time, but I then realized, wow, you're wrong. Um, Batman versus Superman, uh, Batman Begins, Batman 1960 something or other with Adam West. Uh, this one was a tough one. So then I went Batman '89. Tied with the Dark Knight Rises. Sometimes that changes. Then Batman Returns, Lego Batman, Dark Knight. Okay, I, 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 I have to change mine. Batman eighty or sixty six goes above the Dark Knight Rises because it's just such a fun time. Okay, I also love how they reference the bat shark repellent in the Lego Batman movie. That yeah. was in sixty six. It was great. Uh, yeah, I love all the references in that movie. That alone makes it required viewing. Um, yeah, and then for me, oh gosh, uh, I definitely agree that the Schumacher movies are at the bottom of the barrel. Um, it, even though I, I think I was the the Batman from that movie, probably like five Halloweens in a row. Hey um, man, it's all good. Yeah, I was Robin. Yeah, <laughs> kind of worked out. Um, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, then definitely Batman vs Superman, um, which isn't as terrible as people say it is because I saw it way post hate, and I watched it. I'm like, this movie's just really long, and like the fight's kind of ridiculous. But it, but there was some there's good stuff in there. It's not the unmitigated shit show that everyone made it out to be. I think. Uh, I mean, for sure, it's it's better than it's definitely better than a lot of the X Men movies that have come out recently. You better not be talking about Days of Future's Past, or I'm going to have to drive out to wherever you are. No, 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 no. I love that movie. That I'm, I'm taking anything post that except Logan, pretty much. And if you're not counting Deadpool, well, Deadpool's uh, separate. Apocalypse. I th- I've watched it a few times since, and that movie isn't as bad. It's just like Oscar Isaac's makeup. I, I don't know what they thought with the costume choices there, and I did not see Dark Phoenix. But this is not an X Men podcast. That is true. Um, I wish it was. But yeah, so if I was, I'm just gonna. I have a hard time keeping track of all these Batman movies. Um, if I'm skipping to the top, I'm I'm saying my top five is going to be. Um, let's see, probably. Let's see. I'd say Dark Knight Rises followed by. That's your number one. No, that's my number five. Oh, okay. yeah. No. Um, Dark, nah, I'd say Dark Knight Rises, weakest of the of Nolan's. the uh, the Nolan trilogy for me, followed by um, eighty nine. Then I'd put sixty six at third. Second, I'd put Begins, and then top, I'd put Dark Knight. All right, 
Solid list. Yeah, so I feel like we're all pretty much in agreement. Schumacher wands, bottom of the barrel, and then this is somewhere, um, Batman and I, it's somewhere up there in the top, um, or definitely um, the top half. Fair. Yeah, which I feel pretty good about. Um, and it sounds like you, you both are kind of saying that in terms of ranking this this Joker, that also pretty good, but I mean, it's, it's hard to hold a candle to a Heath Ledger. It is tough. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that was that was all on my agenda. Um, but yeah, any other Batman-related thoughts from either you two before we wrap this podcast up? Uh, I'm curious what they do with Robin Pattinson. I will hold my judgment until whatever movie comes out. I hope we don't have to wait too long. Yeah, yeah I, I like... Uh, I, I'm excited to see what he does with the role. At first I was like, ah, then I'm like, yeah, you know what? It'll be good. It has potential, but you know what, Batman? I just, I just want them to tell, tell more good Batman stories. I want DC to straighten out their stuff. Yeah, no, that's fair, and we, we definitely don't want more Jared Leto as Joker. No, no never, never. Although and, I am excited for uh, Joaquin Phoenix. As yeah, a Joker. I know Josh feels differently. I am cautiously optimistic, but we will see. So there's still a lot of time between now and then. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very different movie, set in the Scorsese King of Comedy um, world. Um, I was very skeptical about what they're going to do with that plot, and then I saw that trailer, and I'm like, "Oh my, this could this could be something special." I mean, it could also be a flaming piece of shit, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you can never rule that out. But I feel like this this has potential to be something really different. And it's going to be something a lot of people are talking about, good or bad. Oh, I, I definitely agree. There's going to be some some talk and buzz around it, and it, it might make us revisit our our list of top jokers. So, well, we'll see once it comes out. Uh, but yeah, so wrapping up, um, let's just uh, plug in our social media um, while we can. So, um, Aaron, where can um, the listeners find you online if they want to see what you're writing? So on Twitter, I'm at Aaron Sarnecki. Um, I'm also writing for the site. Um, I'm doing uh, this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like I've done for the past few years. Um, we're about halfway through now. Um, so, yeah, if you want to check that out. Um, I also, if you're interested in my thoughts on uh, the current season uh, that just ended a Designated Survivor on Netflix, you can check that out. Okay, very nice. And, Bill, where could uh, the lovely listeners find you? Oh, boy. So if you just want me to hear me talking about, like, wrestling and stuff, I'm at BodkinWrites on Twitter. That's pretty much all I tweet about, uh, except for my articles, which you can find on thepopbreak.com, which we'd love for you to check out every single day. Aaron and Josh both write for it. Josh has a Stranger Things article he's going to be putting together for us, which I'm very excited for. Just a reminder, you have to write that, Josh. <laughs> okay. And, um, okay, then, you know, on social media, we are at popbreak.com, all spelled out on Twitter. We're forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled on Facebook. We are um, at the pop break on Instagram. Um, if you go to YouTube, just search pop break. We're there. Uh, of course, rate, review, and subscribe to the breakcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, soon to be Anchor. And uh, yeah, just go to popbreak.com as often and always because uh, we love doing what we do. Been doing it 10 years. so Yeah. And thanks for, for plugging all that stuff. Uh, I would just only add that if you like this podcast, please make sure to check out some of the other breakcasts we have in here and also the 
um, wonderful and the winner still is podcast run by film editor Marissa Carpico and TV editor Matt Taylor. Um, they've been doing a fantastic job with those. Um, yeah, recently this season actually, um, probably by the time this podcast is out, the season, their first season will be over. Um, yeah. And uh, they also do um, uh, their way too early Oscars podcast, um, which they run throughout the year. So which is pretty cool. And of course, you know, Josh and Aaron have a lot of retrospective podcasts. You guys just did the uh, um, Edge of Tomorrow. And we, uh, we also did The Lion King recently. And you also did the 25th anniversary of The Lion King, which we'll be reposting uh, right around the time the new updated live, quote unquote live action movie takes place. And uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff from those guys as well. Yeah. So some great podcasts. Bill, you did an excellent job in your, your previous um, recording for The Winner Still Is. So um, yeah, just lots of great stuff to listen to. Um, make sure to check it out and uh, make sure to tune in next time for um, whatever retrospective we might be doing next. So um, signing out for Aaron Sarnecki, Bill Bodkin, I am Josh Sarnecki. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you later. Same bat time, same bat channel. Goddamn Bill. <laughs>